to Make That Paper, the show where we talk about all the crazy jobs we do to make the cash we need to pursue our artistic dreams. And to accessorize Malibu Barbie. <laughs> Today, we're talking about that cater waiter commission or the photo double duty. And of course, the old personal training post we are your hosts, Jamie Parker Stickle. And Jason Bieber. And today we're talking to a super talented actor who side hustled his way into being the silhouetted face of one of the most notorious horror franchises in history. I don't know if it's a horror. It's just horrific. <laughs> this fella has busted his butt in every business Hollywood was built on. And whether he's playing hilarious characters like Drendalyn Drescott of the White Girl Candle Company or pushing you to finish your eighth fucking hit set he is sure to make you laugh and cry it's okay we are so excited to welcome him to the show our new fast friend chase mccown oh you guys what a lovely intro thank you yeah well, thank uh, you for... it is a pleasure to be here thank you for having me oh so thank you for coming here what listeners don't know is we just spent half an hour talking to him before we started um because yeah. he's that great yeah yeah, great. you love that great too. The pre-show is the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it wasn't recorded. Um, I just want to. I just feel like we touched on something, and I I, I want to talk about it really quick, and then we can get into the side hustles because it was sort of a side hustle. Why were you the poster for this? Did you get paid well? Did you get paid <laughs> well? Can we name it? Can, can we, we name it? I'm yeah. so I'm so, so upset. A fact that I often forget about myself is that in 09, I was hired by a friend to join her on some photo shoot. Uh, not to just keep the suspense going indefinitely. It was for The Human Centipede. Um, but a movie I've never seen. Same, I can't, but I feel and like I, I know it because people will, will give yes. you the entire plot and summary of the show when you're like, well, I haven't watched it. You know, everyone knows two things about the movie and they have the general concept and then they know the scene. Um, the, the poop scene. The poop I've never scene. seen it, heard about it. I didn't know that. So this was, I wouldn't say it was paid terribly well, but I also wouldn't say it was a tough day. It was about an hour. Um, the photographer was really nice. They did not do a lot of like big budget stuff. We were behind a shower curtain. I'm raising my hands up screaming. And there are two girls behind me, one of whose noses was pretty close to my derriere and their hands are behind <laughs> me them. making it look like they are a human centipede fortunately they did not surgically attach mm. um her mouth Two. to anyway it was not anatomically correct in the poster thank god um good god forgot about it because this is prior to the movie's release and then one day i was in new york coming out of the subway near some movie theater and there is the poster and there oh i am oh, wow. and uh, uh, I always tell myself, once I've got the house to do it, I'm going to buy a copy of that poster. But that's mm -hmm. me. That's me. That's you. Uh, I I remember watch. I I also have not seen that movie. I don't have what it takes. Mm -mm. Uh, but I did sit through the entire Tosh.0 episode. Yeah. Dedicated strictly to him. We sat through it together. We did. Um, explaining human centipede movie. moment by moment the entire yep. movie not the plot the entire like he just took you through the whole story from opening frame to closing credits it was awful it wow. was just 
the worst thing I've ever endured, and I didn't even watch the movie. Yeah. I wish I had done that because I have read the wiki plot point. So I do know how the movie unfolds from start to finish. Mm. Um, it sounds dreadful. Mm-hmm. So Tosh point out would have probably been a better entry point. Part of the I pun. Certainly, pun, yeah. pun certainly. Was taken. there was there a second one? Was there human centipede? Oh, I think a second, a third. Mm-hmm. And so, have you been back to make new posters? So genuinely, you know, sadly, uh, they did not need my talents oh. for for any of the subsequent sequels. Wow. Like when you've budget. set a bar, when you've set a bar mm-hmm. that high, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's tough to follow up your work in an equally meaningful way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I feel that. Did you do any other photo doubling? I did not. That was, um, yeah. I certainly, when I first moved out here, wanted to be a model, but um, did not have the drive or the height or the whatever it was. But no, that was my only foray into like photo doubling type stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you when you when you hit it out of the park, you know, like first you time you. you're back. People Sometimes. do stop me on the street and they say, "Is that you?" <laughs> uh, no, that is not, that's that's never happened. Oh, Do you man. get residuals on posters? No. It is a flat, flat. I got flat my pink. one one hundred dollar check, and I was out. Wow. The you, coolest you... part was going to pick up my check at um, it's Hollywood Highland. It's like the trailer park office, but that is uh-huh. the actual name of the office. I was like, that's a cool building with a yeah. nice view. Yeah. And that was it. That's cool. Yeah. I mean. It's gross. It's show business, baby. It's show business. It's show business. I don't know. I think I think that you did get the glamorous part of that uh, mm-hmm. that gig because I don't think I'd want to be in that movie. No, no. I mean, I, I, <laughs> they no. have to think about it. They have to think about I mean, it. No, no, I don't have to think about it. I've just it, I've now been forced to think about it. Uh-huh. And it's I'm the, the horror is unraveled. The true horror of, of that film is not the film itself, it's the idea of making it. Yeah. Also, I want to say that the girl probably got $50 whose nose was in your ass because she wasn't yeah. featured in the poster. And mm-hmm. I just that would be me. They'd be and people would be like, Are you modeling? And I'd say, uh-huh. I'm I do on remember the poster. I do remember what I wore, and it was like a pair of shorts, but they were just pantyhose. Uh-huh. Um, not quite as sheer, but I mean it was. Yeah, um, there was little, a little distance from me to her. So let me ask you this. At the time, mm-hmm. what an exciting gig to book. I'm not going to call it your side hustle. You were side hustling <laughs> for the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, during that, that I was, that was like a side hustle tangential to two other side hustles. Let's but what I do that. like about the overall story and I think it's something that only, mostly only people in our industry get is like, that's when you are just taking four or five weird gigs, some of them permanent and some of them a one-off to just to pay your bills. Um, yeah, yeah, 100%. And it was that experience itself, the shoot was perfectly lovely. It was quick, no drama, no turmoil. Um, and at the time I had no idea what the scope of this movie would be. So it's also kind of fun to know that one of these small side hustles actually had some sort of weird i wouldn't call it enduring but like it had i still see that poster (laughs) what it had legs yes uh six it had legs Uh, only six six yeah it's supposed to be a centipede where's there oh that's part two three four well i do know that there's an image 
from I think one of the sequels where it's like there are 12 or a couple more than 12 like a couple dozen people out in like a prison yard all nose to ass surgically what yeah. a long day that must have been because um, that's the thing too is like there's oh, only so oh. much um prosthetic you can use to film that convincingly it, you mm-hmm. at some point kind of have to cozy up to your co-stars oh, i feel sick <laughs> now hey i will also say don't knock eating ass until you've tried it but just don't have your mouth surgically, just don't have your mouth surgically attached to something. Yeah, Yeah. that's an unnecessary step. Let's talk about some of your other entertainment industry adjacent. Yes. Certainly. Side hustles or or full-time hustles, it looks like. Yes. Yeah, and I think part of that was steeped in, you know, growing up in Oklahoma, a very Midwestern sense of a work ethic, which I am grateful for. Because I think sometimes when you translate that into the entertainment industry where it's not as structured, it's a little easier to not have that discipline. Yeah. So I'm thankful for it. And I think that that's one of the reasons when I moved out here, even with a little bit of savings, I just immediately wanted to hit the ground running. And my first gig was as a busboy, um, mm. which the other side of the coin on my experience growing up, it was a very snooty private high school. I mean, my parents made sacrifices for us to go there. It wasn't just easy money for them, but there were a lot of kids there who you know, had the 3000 GT at their 16th birthday. Um, So there was also that sense of, you know, in high school and college, I didn't have to do anything like being a busboy. So I kind of liked it. And I think that that initial experience, I wouldn't say liked it, but I liked busy work like that, where you're not at a desk, um, Mm -hmm. the time goes by quickly. And I think that that set the tone for my years out here of just, I'm not too proud. And shortly thereafter, I got a job simultaneously waiting tables. And then I was also at the front desk of this sports club in Beverly Hills. The restaurant was in Studio City, and I would usually race from one to the other. Um, And there were a couple instances where I would see like a star or a celebrity at the sports club at the day. Then I would drive to the restaurant at night and then wait on them later. Uh, So I got to a point with my schedule where it was kind of burning the candle at both ends where I eventually had to like put some focus on the acting. And to that point I had settled into just kind of exclusively waiting tables for a while. Hmm. And that is where the blog that got me a little bit of notoriety uh, Uh was born from. Uh, Bitter Waiter. The Bitter Waiter. Yes. How long were you writing that blog before it got traction? It was a while because I initially wrote it for such a small select audience. family and friends back home, coworkers. I didn't even promote it, you know, on Facebook at the time. And then it just grew. This Tumblr Is blog, it, we on Tumblr? It was Typepad. Typepad. Initially. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I moved out here solely to be an actor, yeah. but my degree was in journalism, so I knew how to write. And just through, cause more, you know, when you're an actor, there's only so much you can do to hone that craft especially if you like live alone. Um, But writing, which I wasn't necessarily focusing on, the blog gave me that consistency. And so I did start to venture out. I got a lit manager through the blog itself um, and then learned a little bit about TV writing. So it was nice, again, to kind of take the silver lining from that day job. It actually led to something much bigger. But the waiting tables itself, I fucking hated it (laughs) because I am not... 
I may have a work ethic, but what I was not raised to suffer were like entitled people with wildly um, self-indulgent and just unreasonable requests. I was also- Like what? Oh God, if I liked you as a server, great. But if you did one thing to piss me off, and granted, it's not like I ran amok, you still have the potential of getting fired for being a little flippant. But I mean, and it was a place in Studio City that's still open. Is that happen trendy? Mexicali, so no. Mexicali, I'm sure. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if anyone from that is listening to it, hi. Hi guys. Yeah. I mean, I know the owners were there all the time. uh Uh-huh. And like... They, I, I totally see you working there. I may have even run into you. I, you had to. If it was a five-year constant period. I was there five days a week for five years. It was an obnoxious place. It's an it obnoxious place. It was an obnoxious place, place but yeah. it was so dark yeah. that you could get away, especially late at night. By, the end, by my last year there, there was not one single shift, day or night, where I wasn't a little stoned or a little tipsy or both. Yeah. Um. And I may, have to say, may want to talk to somebody about that. <laughs> well, I mean, I talk about a, a habit that's certainly talking to well. us about it right now. Yeah, that's a big point taken. Yeah, um, believe it or not, I'm sober right now. I mean, hey. just in this one, in this one isolated moment. Welcome back. Well, it's Thank sober you. January, right? Vegan, Jan- vegan weary, and sober weary. Yeah, is that what they call it. Whatever I call it, headshot January because I'm not doing it for health. I'm doing it to you know. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Been there. To, to I think what they call it in the 30s to restrict mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. uh anyway so this blog kind of picks up traction um some friends of mine who I had studied with at Playhouse West in Second City we decided to kind of like write a hybrid of like a web series and a pilot and that was when it caught attention um from a lit manager and then okay. someone from 2020 called me one day and they wanted to interview me because I had written a four-part series on the best and worst celebrities to wait on. Um, I was a little nervous because I thought, well, shit, I don't want to go on air and tell everyone that, yeah, Terry Hatcher is a horrible human being to wait on. (laughs) To wait on. To To wait wait on. on. I can only speak to that experience. Yes. So I'm not going to go beyond that. Fortunately, the trajectory of 2020 ended up being, uh, which is no more um, gratifying, but how do you get back at people? How do you take it out on people who are difficult customers? How do um, you take it out on people who are difficult well, customers? Well, I'll tell you, because I'm not, I did not ever see anyone do anything to someone's food. I think that is a bridge too far, no matter what someone has done. There was yeah. no spitting yeah. in drinks. There was no, you know, nothing illegal. Yeah. But one of my favorites is in an era before Uber and Lyft, I had the, these two people who insisted on sitting at one of my tables that accommodates six people. And mm-hmm. on like a Friday night when it's busy, they sat there for two hours. I'm missing all of these turns of like more lucrative earning mm-hmm. potentials. Um, they tipped me $4 on an $80 bill. Oh my they God. They still sit there when they're done after they've tipped. Then they ask me to call them a cab. We're going to take a quick detour in the back of the restaurant because the servers were discouraged from using the restrooms inside. Mm-hmm. So we would just have to go out to like back by the trash bins. And there were these two palm trees near the trash bins. And that's where everyone would go smoke and piss. Is that why it's uh, all male waiters? That's because the conservative gay owners have a predilection for eye candy. Got or... it. Let's take a break and see who's paying the bills today. That's enough of them. Now back to us. 
So these two people leave me this terrible tip. And then they ask me to call them a cab because they have to get to Universal for something. Who knows? Probably to tip somebody else poorly. Sure. And so I walk off. I walk back. I'm like, your cab will be here in about 15 minutes. They're going to pick you up in the back by the two palm trees. (laughs) (laughs) So clearly I never called the cab ever. Uh (laughs) And I'm just watching these two people sit and suffer for what was probably a 20 minute period before they finally got wise. And then I asked the host, like, can you call our cab and see where they are? But it's like, no, I'm not calling your cab. So those were the ways I would get back at people um, in ways that were kind of the transactions done. Yeah. Like if someone was a dick, I would lie and say that their credit card was declined, but I would say it in front of the whole table. (laughs) That's amazing. Because you can't, because you can't go back and like disprove me on that. Because it no, could be a no. fluke with a credit card you, machine. Do you yeah. have a credit card swiper in your pocket that you can run? Nope. Yeah. And initially, I was a little more uh, brazen, and I did get kind of a little bit in trouble. Like, if someone was rude, and then they asked that ubiquitous question, like, what's your favorite thing on the menu? I'd be like, my favorite thing on the menu is the part that says an 18% gratuity is added to parties of eight or more. <laughs> <laughs> but I did get in trouble for stuff like that. Yeah. And it almost became comical, adapting this, like, bitter persona. Because, yeah, I hated the job, but I also wasn't as bitter as the blog belied. Yeah. But no one read, no one wanted to read that blog to hear, like, oh, I had a great shift the other night, and this table tipped me 25%. Right. It became a character of its own. It definitely did. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I was a nasty little viper in the blog, but that's what people wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, certain things, certain tropes work for a yeah. reason you know and it's just you have to write it so that it doesn't sound tropey right. which you did like i've read it it's brilliant it's lovely and that's what people want they want the entertainment they don't always you know there are plenty of people writing sweet stuff yes but what i'm more interested in is okay i worked at starbucks because i was very bad at waiting tables very bad very bad but See, I starbucks gives me anxiety because you have to know all of these specifics about the coffee world like yeah. Even the sizes are confusing to me. Tall, grande, venta. Yeah. 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 I mean, they, I don't know why they decide to switch languages halfway through yeah. the sizes. Yeah. Kudos to Coffee Bean for Americanizing it. I would really Cheers. appreciate I think like a grande should be like, I, I, I don't know the, the, the word for huge in, in Japanese, but I, I do think they should jump again to another language. Yeah. Let's get multicultural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I but wasn't were, in Seattle but, at the time, so I don't know hmm. about it. But I, yeah, I, I, did, I did wait tables. I did wait tables, and I was very bad. I didn't understand the assignment and numbering situation of, like, take them to table four in so-and-so section. And I didn't understand that. It was, like, geometry. The numbers on the, like, you know. So I don't know about Mexicali, but all the places I worked, which was, like, four, there would be a dry erase page and the, the tables would be on it and be like section eight and all the tables would be numbered section nine and all the tables would be numbered and then we'd write the waiter's name that was in that section gosh yeah so and I, they changed the table numbers from shift to shift yes from lunch to dinner no. and no. i would get <laughs> i was so i would sweat i would get so confused just hostessing so they're like let's try you this one restaurant was like let's try you as a waiter i dropped a tray of waters there was only three on the tray and i dropped them and it was well, like a that. deal they were like okay we're just why don't you take the takeout orders 
you know, so I started taking takeout orders and I, I did get tipped very well taking takeout orders. People were very kind to the takeout person Good. and I didn't think I'd be tipped, but so I worked at Starbucks and I wish that I had been as smart as you to blog about it because I worked in Brentwood. So I got- That was my first waiting tables gig at a California pizza kitchen in Brentwood. Okay. I've these, been to that California These pizza wealthy kitchen. celebrities with their Brentwood homes come in to get their coffee and this woman was like, you charged me five cents too much. And I was like, <laughs> you know, right? one guy, and I was like, what are you talking about? I just pressed it in like five cents. And she was like, it always cost me a dollar 45 to add a shot of vanilla. And I was, and she's like, and you just charged me a dollar 50. And I was like, I, I, like, I didn't know what to do. No, I pressed the shot of vanilla button and the machine charged you more. But she was having a complete, mental breakdown over it they and I take was like, it personally they take it they personally. take I was it like, as I, an attack i was like it's oh. on me today like just go get your coffee like i because i listen i get one free drink at starbucks per shift i gave her my free drink because i was wow. just so afraid of like upsetting people i'm so I, it's my midwest is one workhorse two you know keep your head down your eyes down please everybody do not right. create a scene and three you're a woman so just don't do it like just Follow orders. Well, and then in a place like Brentwood, because waiting tables in Studio City at Mexicali, you don't feel like you're in a classist system that's highlighted yeah. because you Absolutely. have people you're like, I know even as a waiter, I make more money than this yeah. piece of trash. Because Mexicali would be everyone from an Oscar winner to like someone who's sleeping on a tent on the street. Exactly. Brentwood, though, had that very distinct, because I remember the way that people would talk to me at CPK, that fucking wave that kid's cup in my face, and be like, Richie needs more milk in his sippy. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm not Richie, and don't talk to me like that. <laughs> I had one of the, um, I'm not going to say his name, but he is one of the, what do you call the top echelon of actors, movie A-list? actors? He's an A-list. He's an A-lister. Yeah. This man does not need a nickel from me. He came in with a 50. If you've ever been to Starbucks, they don't accept anything over a $20 bill. And even then we might not have That's changed so for it. Obnoxious. It's all locked. He's been coming to the Starbucks. He knows the rule. He's like, I only have a 50 today. And he wanted a cup of coffee. And I was like, well, you can use a credit card. And at this point, I'd been there six months and I was like exhausted. And I was like, you can use a credit card. Jamie's doing the 4 a.m. shift. I was doing the 4 a.m. Oh, God. Yeah. And then I would go from there. I would work from 4 to 8.30. And then I would go be a makeup artist from 11 to 7. And then I would go to acting class. And then I would squeeze in auditions like in between, right? Make that paper. Make that paper. So I worked 80 hours a week and I was exhausted. And um I was like, well, then I guess you're going to have to go across the street to the pharmacy. And he, he was like so pissed. And there's a line behind him and they're all looking at me like this because of who it is. And he just stood there. He was defiant. And our shift manager came up and she's like, what's the problem? And he goes, I have a 50 and she won't give me my coffee. It's bless her heart. I love her so much. Atusa, if you're listening, um, she goes, then I guess you're going to have to go across the street to the pharmacy. If she told you to go to the pharmacy, <laughs> good. The pharmacy. Good. And he was so pissed, you guys. I was afraid. Like, I didn't think he was going to do anything, but you could just see how angry he was. And he just left and went to the pharmacy and came back with yep. money. Good. I mean, dick. you know, the walk it, probably did him. Did him well. Yeah. The fresh air. It just felt good to win. It felt good to win. It for does once. feel good because <laughs> in so many restaurant cultures, especially at Mexicali, they never had our backs. When they installed security cameras at Mexicali, it was not 
to keep tabs on the drunk customers. They were positioned at like the server stations. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And we God. were treated, like we were treated, like when we were there, we were under lock and key. You had to ask to go to the bathroom. Oh my God. I'm like, the bathroom you say no, I'm just going to piss on your floor. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, so good for her because I hated, and it was really bad at the sports club, which folded and good riddance. Um, but I mean, we would have to cater to these people. Jessica Simpson would walk in with like eight bags and two dogs. And I was told you can't let these people pass through. And by the way, don't edit out the names that I use because these people should be called out. All right. I love it. They're, they're, on, they're officially on blast. Um, He's writing them down just to make sure in case you don't want them. I do. Oh, she, I think she has already, I think it has already been brought to her attention because we have a couple people who we know in common that she's been the subject of the blog before and i doubt it phases her um well she was an alcoholic she just wrote that memoir yeah the last time now, she came wonder... into mexicali <laughs> was with her assistant casey who by the way is very sweet mm -hmm. very nice um but jessica the last time i saw her in mexicali was so drunk by the way on a margarita that we had to name after her oh i know was, this margarita because it's it's um it's shit is what it is but it's it two is. packets of splenda yep. and lime juice <sighs> and tequila I'd and because I be... went with some people and they were like, get the Jessica Simpson. Nope. And I was like, if I'm going to drink, I'm going to have a sangria anyways. I'm just I would rather you sew my lips to someone's asshole than drink the <laughs> Jessica Simpson margarita. Um, <laughs> and it was just this way we were expected at both jobs to just be deferential to these people. Um, yeah. And yet the people who were a little higher up than people like Jessica Simpson, yeah. like Regina King or Renee Zellweger, when I would deal with them, at work, they were lovely. They were kind. They weren't putting on a show. They weren't trying to uh, perform how nice they were. They were kind. Like, they would never have wanted that weird treatment that this upper management expected you to show these people. It's interesting because um, aside from this this one A-lister, and I think he's had some problems in the past, and that's probably why. What a shock. I Exactly. I don't know. There is a difference. I feel like a lot of TV series people I dealt with whose series had ended and they hadn't necessarily been on anything since I felt their hustle at this, like they're hustling at a different level than me, but it was yeah. still a hustle to try to get the next thing. Like, how are they going to pay that giant mortgage payment? Right? right. Like their show has ended, even if it went into syndication and they get residuals, like you're only as good as your, your last job, right? In the industry, is that what the Well, what is? you're calling uh, their hustle, I would call insecurity. Insecurity, sure. But like... And the particular person you're talking about has multiple insecurities, not the yeah. least of which is Napoleonic. Oh, because well, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Right. It is a reminder, though, and that was always what was interesting to watch, too, is like, these are people who are, like all of us, looking for the next opportunity to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. At, at most of those levels. And just there are plenty of people I would give that shout out to who are always nice. Like Rachel McAdams was another one who I waited on twice and both times just so genuinely nice. Yeah, Justine I met her in Studio City. She was very nice. Like people like swarmed to her, recognized her. She was kind about it. Yeah, the coolest. And I love to shout her out because she has such an often maligned reputation for some stupid reason because of the way her eyes squint. But Renee Zellweger, um, yeah. she came into the restaurant. We were about to close, but she was so low maintenance ordered right away, was engaging, was charming. Her bill was $40. She gave me a $100 bill, said keep the change. And it wasn't just the right. tip. It was just the way she treated everybody. Right. And because she, she's like, I'm putting you out. It's last minute, last call. Yeah. Let me have my food and go. 
And when she moved here from Texas, like she was a bar back, a bartender, a server. And it's nice to see those people who haven't forgotten those roots. A hundred percent. I mean, and that's one of the reasons we do this show, because we do even have a lot of people on who are successfully working and don't actually need a side hustle, but have kept their side hustle because where they where they're from, where they've grown from, they know that nothing today is ever forever. But I love that though. I've fully, you know, come to the realization that I'm probably going to be fixing computers long into, you know, my wildly successful acting career. Yeah. Maybe. Probably. No, I mean, I, I it is not just about economic security. It's oh. that I've made, you know, commitments to people. People yeah. depend on me. And just because I have another thing that I'm doing, I'm not going to let people down who depend on me. Right. Yeah. And I think that that shows that even if it's acting or I think that just speaks to someone's work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you make it at any point in the industry with that work ethic intact, you are going to have probably a better work reputation. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's something I often like to bring up on this show is that artists in general, we get a bad rap, especially from, you know, my parents. But um, And from the Midwest. <laughs> Hi, everybody in Oklahoma who still hey, doesn't Oklahoma. understand what I do. Thanks for tuning in. Yes. Um, we do. We get a bad rap for being, you know, whimsical or, or flighty or, you know, ditzy. Arrested or Development, Peter Pan. I've heard it all before. Yeah. But stunted. The artists that we associate with, the ones that we talk to on this show, are the hardest working people. Yeah, and they they that level of dedication they put into their side hustles, their day jobs, their acting, their writing, their music, whatever they do, they put everything they've got into it. And employers recognize that that level of hard work and dedication is special, and it's not something that they get from just every employee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. I think that that's why there are, I used to work for Nestle for like almost 10 years um, as a side hustle. Uh, <clears throat> so I got a corporate job and everyone's like, don't get a corporate job because you'll never get to audition again. That'll become your life. Right. But it didn't because I worked so hard and I showed up, they were the most supportive employer, which is why it was so hard for me to leave them in terms of allowing me to audition, allowing me to take days off to shoot when I book work, you know, like they were just so great because I was, I worked so hard. So I wanted to prove to them, like, don't let me go. This is just my dream, but I'm going to work twice as hard when I come back or like, you know, and you put in extra hours or you would, you know, you'd hustle. I mean, I was there so long and did so much work. It became a four man team became me and a part-timer. Like they fired, they let go everybody. They downsized to just me. And I was like, you know, still shooting stuff constantly, but that is like, that's just who we are as performers is like we we i don't know or artists rather now sometimes despite our hard work that goes unappreciated and i'm specifically speaking about when we work in the entertainment field you worked as an entertainment assistant i worked as an entertainment assistant and oh, I did too, but for a porn distributor. Whoa. That's a little it, fun. It, it's slightly it. tangential. He was really awesome. But I want to know if your experience, well, I want to know what your experience yeah. was working yeah. as an entertainment assistant. Yeah. And it is a good segue because that was finally what got me out of Mexicali. Awesome. And ah, I think my next endeavor, I will have to be a little more cautious about what I say because it was ABC. 
Uh Um, And it wasn't like a smaller branch. It was the main hub of ABC on the network side as an assistant. And for starters, I think the biggest, and I'll say this up front too. um, I loved my bosses and I loved the people I worked with. I was not cut out to be that kind of assistant. And to this day, I feel a little bit bad. Like I just sitting at a desk all day, um, was not, I don't think that's how my brain is best applied. Yeah. Like there was a part of waiting tables that as simple as it is, I liked because it was all in the moment. It was okay. Multitask, take these drinks, this food to this table. Um, it's active. Yeah. It's an active job. Yeah. But what I appreciated about ABC is I learned so much about the business side of acting and writing, something that most actors and writers don't get to see. Yeah. And it informs so much of the decision that's made behind closed doors. Yeah. And that conjecture we have about like what happened after my audition or what they think of my script. Um, to get to see that was very interesting. I will fully also just say vaguely, like there were some awful people at ABC. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some things that I was asked to do as an assistant that were widely, not in a gross way, outside the parameters of what I was supposed to do. Like, Oh, my girlfriend just lost, she's, a, she just changed jobs. So I think I can say this and I'm not going to say who it is, but her, she's an executive assistant and they asked her to make their pap smear appointment. Well, it's not like they asked her to give the pap smear. No, but you have to give like certain particular information when you yeah. call the doctor. And she was like, I was, I only knew this woman for two weeks and I was so embarrassed to like, Oh, two weeks. Okay. See, I had two bosses and they were the same two bosses for my entirety for my entirety at ABC. Which was how long about? Four, four years. Four. Okay. And then I moved on to being a writer's assistant and then a showrunner's assistant. The assistant trajectory was all set about eight years. Um, Wow. Wow. But without naming names, one of my two bosses the funniest one to me, and I still have this text thread, was my daughter wants to be Catwoman for Halloween. So you need to go find Catwoman shoes. I'm like, oh, is there like a specific store that sells? She's like, no, I just want you to go around like a couple of the stores. So there's this thread that I still have where it's just me, a grown man in a kid's (laughs) shoe store, taking photos of shoes and then sending them to my boss. Like, no, no. Is that personal assistant? Like, See, that's the thing. I'm paid by ABC. If anything had yeah. happened to me, and I was it's far crazy. from the only person. And I mean, this is three hours where I'm not in the office, um, where if the other boss needs something. Now, we worked in an assistant pool, so mm-hmm. it was constant phone coverage for everybody. Uh, but that was, and granted, it was never, ever told, you have to do this. It was, do you mind doing this? So yeah. I'm not going to make it seem like I was coerced into doing this. Because also in my mind, I'm like, great, this is three hours away from this place. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was that kind of blurring the line. Yeah. Because my job is to answer phones, to file, to draft documents, and to set meetings. Right. Now you want me to shop. Okay. Yeah. We'll be right back. Let's get back to the show. Now, to go back to what you said, I f- openly told them all I was a writer. Mm-hmm. And that they were cool with. I never, ever cut, let on, and no one ever told me not to, but I just never felt comfortable telling them I was an actor. Yeah, 100%. So, been there, done that. Yeah, and it yep. did kind of beget this period where, for those four years, I had kind of just put acting on hold simply because I didn't think I could 
work while doing that. Yep. Which is why I turned down those jobs. People are always like, but don't you want to be in the industry? And I was like, I'm not ready to say goodbye to acting. Like if I do that, then I'm not allowed to be an actor. But you know, like you're like, I'm just not there yet. Like I'm getting the auditions. Like, right. But also auditions and casting directors, bless their hearts, will make you feel like you're on the cusp. They're like, you're on the cusp and they'll call mm-hmm. you in a hundred times dangle the carrot. And then it, it, it always goes to someone who's already got credits that are like, you know, working on a show or someone they owed a favor to, because someone they, they owed didn't a cast favor it. To. but I, you don't know that. Right. I think my mindset was, and this was true to an extent that I'm going to meet people who can help me out. And as I learned more so from the showrunners assistant gig years later, like, you either have to make quite an impression or you have to really be up their ass. Because when I was a showrunner's assistant, the casting director we worked with was one of the top ones. And she was always lovely, always kind to me, always polite. And it wasn't until after the show was over that I was like, okay, hey, so-and-so, here's Mm -hmm. my stuff. This took about a dozen emails of that nature before I just simply got back. Hey, Chase, great to hear from you. We'll keep you in mind. What, What show is it? The show was Daytime Divas on VH1. It was a one season with Vanessa Williams. And that was a great experience too because my bosses gave me a lot of, normally I would just sit at a desk, but they let me be in the notes calls. They let me be in the writer's room. They were very gracious about letting me see those other parts of the process. So for all that I found deficient about the assistant experience helping my career, I learned so much even if it wasn't the connections I wanted to make. Yeah. Because there's so much about the artistry that is attached to the ego that you've got to realize like it's also a business. Yeah. Um, And even though I didn't love hearing it, it is good to know that some people are hired as an actor because of their Twitter followers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But what I found interesting in that shift from Mexicali to ABC was from that point on when I would go into the waiting room during pilot season and give paperwork to Sybil Shepard or someone to sign. Sybil, who had been in the restaurant before and had been, let's just say aloof, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, even though I am a mere assistant, it's, oh, Chase, I love that name. And like, "Uh uh-huh. Do you remember screaming about me because your tortilla chips were burned? Uh, Which was not her. That's not a real thing. Okay, all right. Uh, It's an example of something that could have happened. Yeah, but... It was interesting because then the egos you dealt with weren't the Hollywood people. They were these executives who also felt like they were doing world important work. Not my bosses. I think they had a very level head about what they were doing. So sometimes, often the trajectory would be you're this assistant and then you get into the writer's room. You become Mm -hmm. the writer's room assistant. Was that something that was, so you were a writer's assistant, but were you in the, and sometimes you went in the writer's room. So what- Did you have to make choices? Were you like, sometimes we have to make choices and sacrifices. Like this isn't the path I wanted. Like I want to perform, like I'm a performer. Yeah, I think that I had learned because my first writer's assistant gig, it's how I left ABC. Well, I mean, I left on good terms, but it was why I got to leave. Um, It was for an animated show. Mm-hmm. The show was Dinosaur Train. I know Dinosaur Train. Yeah. That's Jack, Jack. Bieber's favorite show, Dinosaur Craig Train. Craig Bartlett. Oh, my He's God. He's a wonderful, 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 kind, creative, lovely man to work for. Um, but animation is such a different 
ball game than yeah. uh, live action TV. And there's and a point a Henson to this, show, right? That's a Jim yes. Henson. Yeah. And I, you know, I still got to learn a lot of things about just like scripting and, and deadlines. Um, if the line producer of that show is listening, she can go fuck herself. But that's all <laughs> I'll say in the negative. That's for you, Melanie. Okay. But um, I'm going to put that on T-shirt. Until... Melanie, go fuck yourself. Yeah. It wasn't until I love this. I'm telling so many celebs and former bosses on your podcast. I'm going to go uh, have to hide after this. Or but, you're going to get offered your own show. But I kind of realized I would love that. And I think this was also as great as the showrunner's assistant gig was after this. Part of my process at that point, and I did have to draw a line in the sand, was I'm at a place where I've got to take whatever gig I can. Like yeah. a lot of people find themselves in, in this industry. Yeah. And the showrunner's assistant gig, I would have continued to do had it been picked up for a second season. And I do think at that point, I would have been more comfortable saying, hey, this is a five and under. Can we just throw my name in the ring? Yep. So I, but I also realized when that show got canceled, and I've seen this with so many people, because there are, and I hate to use this term derogatorily, but career assistants. And mm -hmm. it's not their fault. It's simply because in an industry where so many people up top are focused about their own preservation, rarely, if ever, are they like, you know what, here's my assistant who wants to be a writer. Yeah. My bosses at ABC were great. And they both were like, here's someone you could reach out to. But I think that was the exception to the rule. And I realized, like, I'm going to be the one driving my momentum. Yeah. I think there is this misbelief that if you work hard enough, and it's not completely untrue, but at no point can you give the wheel to anybody else. Right. Yeah. Because um, yeah. a lot of people get into those positions. You're that close to production. You're that close to the room. You feel like it is an inevitability because it's almost intoxicating to like see this in action, yeah. a writer's room or set. But when that ended, and just to be completely frank, because I know a lot of people in the industry deal with this, it would have been at 2018, 2017, no, 16, because it was right after the uh, more notorious election. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I could not find another gig that was an advanced move, right. whether it was a writer's assistant on a live action show or a staff writer. And so there was a period of depression, um, mm -hmm. pronounced depression, like real genuine depression, where there's also that feeling of no matter how hard you've worked, because when you look at your resume, depending on your perspective, it's like, well, these are all really lateral moves. Yeah. So in a way, you feel like you've kind of wasted time. And it took me a bit to realize, like, what I do to make money has to be something that is independent of this industry. Because if I'm going to use my energy to network, it can't be someone I'm working for. Because there is an understandable expectation that when you're the showrunner's assistant, you are there to do a job. Mm -hmm. And you are not paid by Sony to network. And I get that. I'm completely fine with that. So I found that I had to remove myself from that assistant pool mm -hmm. um, or else that was just going to be my shingle. Yeah. And that was how, in a roundabout way, I found fitness. And it just turned the tide in every, every possible way. Um, but I think I've gotten so far afield from your question. No, 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 but you're I, fine. But, but I, I do think that even if you go into those jobs with the best of intention and the highest of hopes, you've still got to be running the show and you've still got to be dogged about being self-motivated um, and fighting for your career. Because no matter how good of a job you do, yeah. you're still going to be the one navigating that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I, I, 
I agree a hundred percent. And I think that um, sometimes you like even that showrunner you were assisting the show doesn't get picked up and they're out of a job for five years yeah and people don't realize that like your showrunner that you were hired for so where do you where do you go you're out of employment because they're out of employment next thing you know they're selling mlms or like something mlm until you know hello fresh or tiktoking their world and you're just like am i still assisting you on this am i holding your camera are you paying me out of pocket now like so, I mean, things change so much. And if your show is gone after five episodes, it's gone. Do you know how many shows are gone after five episodes? Oh, one episode? I mean, every now and then I will think about it just kind of as a joking passing thought. I'm like, I doubt anyone is ever going to watch a single episode of Daytime Divas again. Like it's in the wayside of thousands of shows that are just kind yeah. of forgotten because they were, they were a job to somebody, everybody. Uh, but you bring up a great point about also just the nature of who you work for. Um, Like my bosses after that show ended, they both had to find work again. And And if you're great, they love to take you with them, but if they can't, they they don't. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, for their own pantry, they've got to work. Yeah. And Um, that job that you would hope they'd hook you up with is the job they themselves are trying to secure. Right. And that whole kind of romantic fallacy that this industry sadly rewards hard work which it does to an extent but i think it's an industry that rewards more self not self-promotion in a narcissistic way but just you never stop fighting to get yourself in that room or to get your script read yeah and um well narcissism you know just to talk about narcissism for a brief moment often people consider this a narcissistic industry and in fact it's a self-promoting industry where because of that fact narcissists tend to do well Right. But it's not, you know, it's not about narcissism. It's about putting yourself right. out there. And and if you don't, no one else is going to. And I have to say, for those of us in this industry, I just, I think it is an experience that is, if you have the right perspective, mm-hmm. um, I just, I think few things teach you to work as hard, to fight for yourself as hard, and to be as grateful for those moments of employment yeah, because it's you know to Jamie's point about that yeah, like romantic notion that uh, you're going to move upward in this industry. You could lose it all in one day. Mm-hmm. Your series ends and you work again for ten years. I mean, sadly, it is a rather cutthroat industry. But you do it despite that because you love it. But you can't thrive in this industry without self promotion. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I know a few people who just love Instagram. Ironically, it's more fitness people who kind of love that influencer mentality more so than like actors well you're trying i I wrote something today where it's like and i'm sincere about it on facebook you don't know how difficult it is to give free content and make people watch it it's free watch my content watch my content it's free like i'm giving it to you and still they would rather watch misinformation on TikTok and Instagram by influencer misinformation you heard yes. me right i am gen x it is not true information what these people are telling you they have no degree of education in it they're just good at talking and they're pretty especially but, in the world of fitness especially like in the world of the fitness human, and nutrition yeah like the human body is not some sort of subjective thing to study like there's fact and there's fiction there's fact about and what there's works fiction. about form about just general health and you just watch these people who are as you say like very pretty and you can tell even on their whatever they're demoing like 
you're misleading these hundreds of thousands of people into some terrible forms some knee injuries. Um, yeah. But oh, I digress. Yeah. Well, no, actually, you you got us right on top. I'm right on. That's what we're trying to move into. Yeah. Talk now. I I think it's time to do a little full disclosure here. I myself have been working out with Chase McCown, the fitness guru, the 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 personal trainer for two months now. Since right after Hanukkah. Since right after Hanukkah. And And Jason, uh, just you all at home know, is such a hard worker, and just is a pleasure to train um well the, and the, i've the seen the strides so yeah. well i think jason's a model his mom was a model and i just think like you know he's very easily gets right back into shape when he works a model the- what mm. <laughs> love that model behavior right yeah. model behavior uh but to the overall point yes that's how we met as jason is one of my clients um but I, that to me, that whole scope of fitness, personal yeah. training, spin, it is the first thing in my life, other than getting to be on set, where it just, it comes, sometimes clicks like, I'm also getting paid for this because I do enjoy it. You and, have an, uh, a captivated audience, not a captured audience, right. but as like a spin totally. instructor and as an instructor, what I loved about teaching spin was I had a captivated audience. They were yes. listening to me and I was telling them a story through a ride on a bike through music and it was great and the music and what I love about it kind of like what I loved the good part about waiting tables is that you really when it's busy you don't have a moment to think Mm -hmm. and I loved that I loved being on my feet on a busy steady night at the restaurant and I love that in spin like there's no time to think god that person flipped me off in traffic earlier or oh my neighbor they're never gonna find her body um you know (laughs) you're just 100 percent and do you feel that way when you're doing it? Like, like, is that something that you feel like and it's fulfilling, right? It is very fulfilling. Each client is different in terms of their goals, their experiences. And so it's very rewarding for me having faced my own insecurities in different areas because fitness for a lot of people is scary and it is yeah. uncomfortable. I mean, when you're dealing with matters of the body and health, and an industry that is now convoluted with influencers, influencers who I'm sorry, are not trying to make people feel better about themselves. They're They're trying trying to make make people feel like they're lacking. And that's the root of advertising. And so what I love about fitness and spinning with clients is I only want to celebrate the positive. And it just, it does not feel like a job. And I, and I think for as long as I've been in LA, it's kind of breathed a lot of fresh air into this experience. Hmm. Um, so I love it. I mean, to me, as much as the work is physical, it's more meaningful to me on a, on a, I don't use the word spiritual often, but that kind of level. I'm so impressed with how you are able to keep going and rise again and again and again. Just, you know, it's like, we have to, we have to sustain. And that's how we make friends out here too, is because some of us have been out here for like a long time. And yes. we don't know the people we knew when we first got here because they left. And I, so many and people leave. Funny enough, today, umpteen years ago, January 26th, is the day I arrived in Los Angeles. We're celebrating So this is also kind of a fun milestone to spend with you two. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad we got to. And oh, you know, amazing. I appreciate those kind words, but I also want everybody listening to know that I've also had those days where I did not get out of bed, where I mm-hmm. wanted to go back home, where it seemed like everybody around me had something to celebrate. And so um, anyone who feels like they're alone in those moments, like we all have them, 
that's what disappoints me the most about social media is this idea that you have to curate this experience that inadvertently makes people feel like, oh, well, I'm just a big sack of shit. I was yep. like, no, I've had those moments where I've Googled jobs in a comfortable Midwestern city and where I haven't even wanted to brush my teeth. Like yeah. there are those days where there is no motivation and yeah. you just get through that one day, know that that setting is just that it's a setting. It's not going to be your permanent position, but if you love what you are wanting to do in this industry beyond the accolades, beyond proving a point to anybody, you will keep doing it, not begrudgingly, but because there's still a joy to it. It's and that's my rule of thumb. Yeah. The minute this feels like I've become bitter or more bitter, un unmanageably bitter, <laughs> um, beyond just a normal bitchy streak, the bitter then, it is, then it is time to leave. Yeah. Um, if there's no joy in it and I'm proving something to somebody beyond me, mm -hmm. A hundred percent. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. This was yeah. awesome. Thank you. This was a delight. And thank you for letting me do this retrospective of my own time here on a day that's an anniversary. She showed on Monday. Stickle, thank you for bringing Chase into our lives. You are welcome, Bieber. And next week, I'm bringing someone wonderful into the fold. The one and only Ithamar Enriquez? You know him. But now I'm losing ground.